You're listening to Coaching for Leaders. This is episode number 46, airing on July 16th, 2012. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. This is the show for leaders who want to improve themselves so they can better engage and develop others. Whether you're a seasoned leader or leading people for the first time, improving your leadership skills will drive your success and most importantly, the success of others. This week's topic, personality preferences and decision-making. Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Coaching for Leaders. My name is Dave Stahoviak, and I'm coming to you from our studio out here in Orange County, California. And a special welcome if this is your first time listening. And this is really a show about how you can develop yourself so that you can engage and develop others more effectively. And I've had many times in my career as a trainer and coach where people have shown up into a room either to meet with me personally or to show up for a class or to show up in some type of training event, and they have walked in with the expectation that they would receive a whole bunch of great tools, ideas, tips, resources to change other people. (laughs) Well, I have news for you. Uh, Most of you who listen to the show already know this, but you can't change anyone else until you change yourself. And in fact, that's the best way to change others is to change yourself first and develop yourself first. And this show is really focused on doing that for all of us and helping all of us to become better leaders, to make better decisions, and to understand ourselves better so we can best lead and develop others. And today, we're going to be continuing the series on personality preferences and how we can lead as effectively as possible by understanding our preferences around personality. And if we are able to understand ourselves, we give ourselves a gift of being able to really reach out and to teach others on not only how we lead, but also to help others to learn in the best possible way. And I think back to a story for me, uh, I guess is going back about a decade now. I was working in the for-profit education industry, and uh, one of my jobs in the company I was working for at the time was to manage a location where we interacted with customers and families and parents all of the time. And uh, we uh, were kind of the front line for any time there was a customer issue or customer complaint. You know, we would, you know, if we were as the manager of the center, I was sort of the last line of uh, defense as far as, uh, you know, how, how we were going to respond to a customer issue or a customer complaint. Well, we had a situation happen uh, one uh, month where a, uh, a family had come in and signed up for a free membership, and then it had automatically transferred into a paying membership because they had signed up just for a, a trial membership, but they had agreed that they'd continue their membership going forward. And to make a very, very long story very short, uh, they never ended up intending to actually transition into the paid membership, but they never signed a formal cancellation that said, we're not going to move forward. 
Well, uh, I made a decision that time as the manager of that location that I said, you know what? Um, I understand the situation, I think, but the rules are the rules and we have policies and procedures for all of this. And we were very much a company that we were very focused on uh, policies and procedures. And that was very much a part of the culture. So it wasn't just me, but I, I certainly made the decision in this case and said, you know, we're not going to issue a refund to this family who had continued on through a membership and not then, you know, canceled it. And, uh, and, and, you know, the whole thing was over like $125. It was just, just, you know, a small amount of money in comparison to the entire business. Um, let me tell you, the customer was not happy at all because they actually hadn't even really ever used even their free membership, but because they never formally canceled their (laughs) paid membership, they were starting to pay for this and they didn't discover it until it showed up on their credit card. Well, I was certain that I was right. And in fact, I had all the documentation to prove that I was right. And I had everything in writing and their signatures that said I was right. And I was. In the black and white letter of the law, I was right. And they did agree to what uh, we our policies and procedures. And, uh, and I convinced my manager at the time that I was right. Once it got bumped up to my regional manager who got wind of this situation because the customer started calling and complaining, not only calling to my, uh, uh, center, but calling to other people in the company, trying to get on somebody's radar screen to, uh, get the situation reversed. Uh, they called our corporate headquarters, um, anyway, along the way, I'm working the other side internally, and I'm fighting my way up the chain of command, trying to convince everyone in leadership for the entire organization that I was right. And I was so good at convincing everyone that I was right internally that I actually got this whole issue on the desk of the senior vice president of the company at the time. This was like one level below the CEO. And uh, and this this person in the leadership role um, you know, got wind of both sides. Both both of us ended up at the same level of the company at the exact same time, the customer and me. And uh, she took one look at the situation. Uh, you know, kind of understood each side, understood each side, and right away, you know, came back with the decision of refund the customer. And I know <laughs> I wasn't there for the conversation, but I know that she was thinking to herself, "What on earth are you people doing internally of spending not only." fighting with a customer over $125, but having spent all the time and resources kind of fighting this thing up all through the chain of command. And I'll tell you, when they came back with the decision that they were going with the customer side, I was mad. And I let people know I was mad too. I let the whole chain of command know I was mad. And uh, and because I thought I was following policy and procedure. And of course I was. But you know what? Here's the thing is that situation cost us other customers because of course, of course, that uh, particular former customer told other people about it, told other folks in the in the uh, city about us and our horrible policies and procedures. And let me tell you, it was an incredible learning experience for me. It was an incredible learning experience because it taught me that being right in the letter of the law or the letter of the contract or whatever you know whatever the situation is isn't enough isn't enough for me in my decision process and in fact you have to take a lot of other things to account and i learned that day um, after some reflection and some time to realize that actually i was wrong uh, i learned very very good lesson which was 
uh, never fight with a customer. I just refuse to fight with customers anymore. And and ever since then, I've had fantastic relationships with customers. I can't think of a time I have ever fought with a customer or client over uh, money or any type of financial issue. Uh, if ever it came to that, it would come to that. I would always err on the side of you know let's just you know issue you a refund and not do business together. But I I've been so blessed over the years to have wonderful relationships with customers now, and but I'll tell you I had to learn the hard way, and that's where the value of experience for me and the value of other people who had more experience at the time and looking at a situation and being able to coach me on a situation, even though I wasn't happy about it were able to help me to be a lot more effective long-term as a leader. And I say this story uh, to hopefully send home the point here that you know the more we can learn about ourselves, the more that others can challenge us, the more that we can gain perspective, I think the more valuable we are uh, to ourselves, to our families, to our organizations, and in every aspect that we lead others. And so today, that's why we're continuing this series on personality and looking at different personality frameworks and preferences. Because if you can understand how you approach the world through your personality and your core preferences, and even better, if you have language that you can use to explain that to others and recognize the preferences of others too, you really do help others to Um, understand you, but you become a much more effective leader. And I know I have as as I've learned more and more about myself over the years. So I'm hopeful that today that this episode will continue that process for all of us. Now, this series we started several episodes ago, we've already looked at a couple of different aspects of personality, and we're looking at the personality framework that Carl Jung first developed uh, well over 100 years ago. And uh, he had a couple of different facets of personality he looked at in his research, and one of them was introversion and extroversion. We talked about those in episodes 20 or 43 and 44. We talked about how we take in information last week's episode number 45. Today, we're going to look at how we make decisions, how we tend to um, make decisions as leaders, uh, just as people, uh, and how our personality preferences may play a role there. And certainly, if you're a leader in any capacity, you are going to need to make decisions. And uh, more often than not, when you make decisions, there's going to be at least somebody that's not happy with those decisions. So today, it's important for us to take a look at one of those at this dichotomy as well, too. As I am speaking and as you're uh, hearing some information on these different preferences, you may have questions too, or you may want to jump in and join the conversation online. And if you'd like to, just hop onto our website. That's the very best way to interact with me and interact with the uh, your fellow listeners here on the show. And that website is coachingforleaders.com. So just head over there. This is episode number 46. So take a look for that one. You'll see all the show notes there and a place you can jot down some comments at the very end. You can also call me anytime and leave a message or feedback, and I'll be happy to include your question on an upcoming show. Our feedback number is 949-38-LEARN, and email is also a good way to reach me. You can email me at feedback at coachingforleaders.com. So let's take a look now at these two lenses Uh, two dichotomies, really, of how we make 
decisions. And again, this comes from Carl Jung's research on personality, and it's also reflected in uh, one of the instruments that I've been speaking extensively about over the last few weeks, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, or called the MBTI for short. So you've heard me talk about this over the last few weeks. The third dichotomy that's that's assessed in the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator is this dichotomy of how we make decisions. And for those of you familiar with the MBTI, you will recognize the language of thinking versus feeling. So let's take a look, first of all, at those who tend to have the preference for thinking. And so now, by the way, uh, you know, some of these word choices that are used and that Carl Jung originally used, you know, aren't always perfectly descriptive of uh, the different personality preferences. It This is not meaning by any means to infer that those who have a feeling preference don't think, <laughs> nor is it intended to infer that those who have a thinking preference don't have feelings. That's not the case at all. It's just a, a, just a term that's utilized to identify the different dichotomies. And even if we have a strong preference on either side, and many of us do have a preference on either side, it's, it purely is just that. It's a preference. We all use both of these sides in our decision process. Every single person I've ever met uses both of these. So this is just a matter of which one we tend to go to first, which one we rely on first, and where we tend to have our comfort zone. So part of what I want to do today is to share with you each of these dichotomies, but also to start thinking about how you might move out of your comfort zone a little bit and to start thinking about utilizing the strengths that the other side, the other dichotomy provides. So let's start off, first of all, by talking about these two different dichotomies. So let's begin with thinking. So how do you make decisions? Well, some people use uh, thinking, the thinking preference in order to make decisions, and they tend to default to that. So here's a very brief definition, just a couple sentences from the book Introduction to Type. This is published by the folks at CPP, which published the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. And they say that people who, who prefer to use thinking in decision-making like to look at the logical consequences of a choice or action. They want to mentally remove themselves from the situation to examine the pros and cons objectively. When I think about people who uh, utilize the thinking preference, you know, one of the words that definitely comes to mind for me is analysis, really taking the time to analyze the situation, analyze the data. And one of the things that those of uh, those who have a thinking preference tend to look at is that they try to be very objective in their decision making to really look at things from as the but to the best they can and they know that they can't always be objective and, and nobody's perfectly objective but to be as objective as possible in decision making and those who tend to prefer thinking uh, like to be a little bit more egalitarian in their decision making as in making decisions that will be fair to everyone that's involved. They want people to really be treated the same and be treated fairly in decision processes. And so um, for those of you who may feel like you have a little bit more of a preference for thinking, here's a few tips for those who have that thinking preference, 
you know, I think one of the things that can get those in trouble who have a preference, especially a strong preference for thinking, is to watch out for doing too much analysis. Uh, Because those who have the thinking preference tend to like to analyze things, tend to like to look at the data a lot, there is the danger of doing too much of that, doing the over-analysis or analysis paralysis, as some people call it, and just looking at too much of the data. In addition, I've, I've, one of the things that is, can be challenging for those with a thinking preference is spending, spending more time really listening to how people feel about the situation. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to get, uh, to analyze the data and sometimes look at the black and white, but to forget about how people are feeling and how the decision that's being made may impact individuals in the situation. And, uh, you know, my example, the story I told earlier was actually a very, a perfect example of that, how um, a strength for me, which is, you know, following policy and procedure, it's something I've always had a strength for my entire life. You know, if, if there's a process, I'll follow it. You know, if I know the process or procedure, something I've just always been good with for better or worse. Well, any strength overused becomes a weakness. I'll say that again. Any strength that you have that is overused becomes a weakness or a liability for you. So if you aren't willing to listen to how people feel about a situation, and in my case, I wasn't with this particular customer, um, I really missed the boat on making the right decision. I made the decision that was in alignment with policy, but I didn't make the decision that was the best decision for everyone involved, including the business. So that's something that if you have that preference for thinking, I actually don't have a preference for thinking. I tend to err on the other side most of the time. But if you have a preference for thinking, that might be something you want to just watch out for, not going to that other extreme. And uh, then, of course, know that you can't always be perfectly objective. And most of us know this and we recognize this, but there is that tendency sometimes for those who have that have the thinking preference to uh, try to be as objective as possible, but to recognize that we just can't be perfectly objective. Uh, even if there was such a thing as a human being who was able to be perfectly objective, although we all know such a human being does not exist, but let's just say that there was, uh, you would never be able to find all the data anyway. So even if you were able to be perfectly objective, we all make decisions through the lens of experience, through our values, through things that we've seen in the world. So it's not possible to be objective. So make sure to consider the other side too. Now, uh, that just then begs the question, well, how do you lead those who have a thinking preference? So say you're in a leadership role, you are leading people who you know have a real preference for uh, thinking. And again, I'm not saying thinking as in they like to think. I'm thinking as in the thinking preference on this dichotomy of decision-making. So know that if you're leading people who have that preference, they are going to want data. They're going to want to be able to see the numbers, to look at the data, to be able to spend time to analyze that and look at that. And one thing that you can help people with who have a thinking preference, particularly if they themselves are in a leadership role, so if you are leading someone who is also themselves in a leadership role, is to coach them that uh, coach them if they tend to or could appear cold 
to others. And I know I was very grateful in the long run for, in the long run for the coaching I got from a senior leader in my organization 10 years ago when I made a decision that was really cold. Uh, it was a cold decision and I did feel I did I was cold to our customers. I was cold to other people in the business who saw me make that decision. So um, that's an opportunity as a leader. When you see someone trending too much to the side of just looking at data and analysis and not thinking about the impact on people is to do a little coaching there. And then of course, um, to watch out for the impact on individuals. Um, you know, just because a decision is the decision that is the decision for um, that's best for 90%, of the people involved, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the right decision. Uh, if it's best for 60% of the people involved, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the right decision because the impact to those other 10% or 40% might be so significant or so negative that it outweighs the positive benefit, even if it is um, you know, a good decision for the majority. So that's something just to watch out for if you do tend to have that thinking preference or if you're leading people who have the thinking preference. Now, Let's look at the other side of this dichotomy, and that would be the feeling preference. So again, it's not that those who have a feeling preference don't think uh, or vice versa. It's just the name and the label that's used to describe this. So here's what, again, the folks at CPP and the Introduction to Type book describe as the feeling preference. People who prefer, <clears throat> this is a quote, people who prefer to use feeling in decision-making like to consider what is important to them and to others involved. They mentally place themselves into the situation to identify with everyone so that they can make decisions based on their values about honoring people. And that's one thing that if you uh, talk to someone or if you work with someone who has a preference for making decisions through the feeling framework is you'll find that a lot of the time that they tend to uh, default first to thinking about how their decisions are going to impact others. And you'll notice one of the quotes from the CPP book said that, uh, that used the term values. Uh, those who have the feeling preference do tend to think a lot about their decisions in terms of values. And, and, and speaking just for myself, I do tend to have a preference more on the feeling side uh, on these dichotomies. Um, when I think about my work and the work that I've done in my professional life over the last you know 15 years or so, um, I've always done work that inspires me. I've always worked for companies that had a mission that inspired me. I've always done work of something that I knew was great to impact people in the world. That's very important to me. Uh, a person who had who was like me, who had more of a thinking pre thinking preference, would have made different decisions in their career than I have made. I have erred on the side of doing what inspires me more than I have erred on the side of doing things that are going to make me a lot of money. Now, I don't think that those things necessarily need to be um, uh, mutually exclusive, um, but those tend to be the things that I think of first. And if I can, you know, it can be a great long-term career move and make money doing it even better. But I think first about what is it that really inspires me, what gets me out of bed in the morning. So that's something that tends to be very true for a lot of a lot of people who have that feeling preference. And of course, uh, those who have a preference for 
the feeling around decision-making tend to look at the individuals, and they consider individuals and individual impact a little bit um, more uh, quickly than those who may have the feeling preference, who are thinking more about fairness and how to keep things e- you know, equal for everybody. So a few tips for leaders, you know, those of us who have the feeling preference and lead others, is to uh, be careful about not spending time to consider the data in your decisions. So I have heard, um, I have heard people who have a feeling preference uh, go into business meetings, um, go into pitch ideas, uh, and, or make decisions with teams and use language like, well, I just, this just feels right to me. Or, you know, we just need to do this for this one person. Or, um, I just, you know, I've, you know, this, uh, this is the right decision to make. And, you know, let's, you know, and talk about values and how it connects, this decision connects well with their values. And the senior leaders sitting in the room, who, by the way, tend to um, statistically be more of the thinking preference, um, are kind of wondering how this person's making decisions and unfortunately the person ends up not sounding credible even though they may be making very very good decisions the way that they're communicating it tends not to be as effective so um, make sure to spend time considering the data in your decisions but also to communicate that as you are making decisions so um one thing to know is that the business world, uh, for those of us who are in the business world, and that's many, many people who listen to the show, is that the business world and business leaders tend to understand the thinking version of making deci- the thinking preference for making decisions better than the feeling preference. And uh, and this is not opinion. This is pretty well established in research that uh, by uh, by a majority, uh, not everybody, but a majority of senior leaders and organizations tend to have the thinking preference more so than the feeling preference when it comes to decision making. And so I say this because if you are on the other side of the fence, if you tend to you tend to have the preference for feeling and making decisions through that lens, um, you are incredibly valuable to the business world because there's not as many people out there like you who are looking at decisions through that lens. But that said, you also are tend to be not as understood. And I know I speak from personal experience here. Uh, you know, when we approach things through the feeling framework, we really do need to think through how we're going to communicate that to people who uh, often are making decisions through analysis, objective criteria, uh, through data, through numbers. So we need to be able to, those of us who have the feeling preference, be able to speak the language of those who have the thinking preference. Uh, and whether that's a, to a senior leader in a room or whether that's to the people you're leading, understand that the values and the impact on people and looking at individuals isn't something, isn't a framework that everyone looks through first. So again, I'm not saying that those who have a thinking preference uh, don't care about people or aren't values-based, none of that at all. I'm just saying that that tends to be not the place that they start thinking about first when they're thinking about the decision process. So those are some things to watch out for if you're a leader and you tend to prefer feeling when it comes to making decisions. Now, how to lead others with a feeling preference around making decisions is um, to you know discuss 
how your decisions that you're making, whether your preference is thinking or feeling, if you're leading those with a feeling preference, which almost certainly you are if you're working in an organization of any size, is make sure you discuss how your decisions are going to impact people. That doesn't mean that you have to always make decisions with every single person in mind or everyone's values in mind. That's not possible to do as a leader. You would get caught up in analysis all day long trying to do that to take some time to just discuss how your decisions will impact others. That will go a long way in helping those with a feeling preference understand where you're coming from. Um, In addition, if you are leading people who, again, are leaders themselves, and they tend to make decisions through the feeling preference, is coach them to consider the data in their decisions and to give explanations of their decisions that match analysis and and match objectivity and look at fairness and speak the language that a COO and a CFO by and large tend to be looking at, which is looking at things through the thinking preference. And again, I'm painting some broad brush strokes here. Not every CFO has a thinking preference. <laughs> Not every COO has a thinking preference, but but many of them do. And And the research continues to show that many, many senior leaders, particularly those who are in some of those operational finance roles tend to um, be the folks that are looking at things at more from analysis, objective data, financial numbers, those types of things. If you want to influence those folks, you better be talking their language. So it doesn't mean that you have to make decisions that way all the time, but you better be able to explain your decisions in the framework that they understand. And then, of course, um, talk in terms. If you're, you know, if you're leading people with the feeling preference, talk in terms of of your decisions and their values. And if you are leading people and you care about them, you should know something about their values and what's important to them. If you don't, uh, you know, we'll go back and talk about that on on a past episode, actually, or have talked about that on a past episode. Um, Go back and take take a listen to. Uh, episode number two way back last year, and you'll find a good framework for just understanding how to listen to people and maybe understand a little bit more about their values. So I hope that this has been helpful to you in thinking about just some different ways that you can consider your decision processes and how you make decisions. And again, we all do all of these all the time. Every single person thinks about values to some extent in their decision process. Every single person uses analysis Everyone thinks about impact on people to some extent. Everyone is objective to some extent. So it's just a matter of how much we tend to default to one side or the other. So the thing I challenge you to do is to consider which one do you tend to default to? And then secondly this week, which of these, if any of these blind spots do you tend to fall into and to take at least one piece of advice here, one uh, of these uh, things that I've mentioned and to put it into practice. And by the way, I'd love to hear about what you do. So if you decide to do something differently or to change your perspective or your decision process or how you communicate it, uh, go ahead and hop on the website, coachingforleaders.com. Let me know what you're doing differently or call it in if you'd like, 94938-LEARN. I'd love to chat with you or just uh, hear your voice over voicemail. And of course, email is great too, feedback at 
coachingforleaders.com. And uh, this is the part of the show where I normally uh, try to get some community news and feedback in here. I did want to mention one brief thing before I let you go this week. Um, Bonnie and I are going to be moving homes over the next week, which is really exciting for us. I mentioned in last week's episode, we or the week before, we just purchased a new home. And so we're on the move, which is great. So I mentioned that uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, one is uh, we are going to pre-record episode number 47 because we're literally going to be taking down. Uh, we have a whole bunch of audio equipment in our home office studio here. We're going to be packing it all up, you know, shipping it over, getting it all back put up. And I'm hoping that'll be a pretty fast process. But realistically, with uh, especially with Luke being five months old and uh, everything that happens in a move, it's going to take us some time to do that. So next week's episode will still air. It's just going to be pre-recorded. And um, I wanted to mention this also because I'm going to be a lot slower on getting back to email or feedback than I normally would be. So if you leave a message or send me an email or put a comment on the website, know that I absolutely will get to it. I just might be a little slower than normal. So if you don't get a response right away over the next uh, two weeks, if you're listening to this at the middle to end of July 2012, then know that uh, I'll get back to you shortly. And if you're listening to this sometime after then, hey, keep emailing and calling in. I'd uh, love to hear from you. And I am going to leave you this week with a quote. Uh, I guess I'm just kind of on a quote uh, <laughs> a quote uh, binge here because I've been uh, bringing some quotes in the last few shows. Uh, you know, this is a quote from R- Ralph Waldo Emerson, who I'm convinced uh, has given half the quotes out there in the English language. But here's a thought from him. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, What I must do is all that concerns me, not what people think. It is the harder, because you will always find those who think they know what is your duty better than you know it. It is easy in the world to live after the world's opinion. It is easy in solitude to live after our own. But the great person is she who in the midst of the crowd keeps with perfect sweetness the independence of solitude. Great words from Ralph Waldo Emerson and a good reminder for us as we make decisions is to really tap into our strengths and our personality preferences. Hey, before I let you go, I did want to say a quick thank you to all of our listeners on Stitcher. If you're listening on the Stitcher Radio Network, thank you so much for tapping into this show. Very excited to have you. And if you are listening on Stitcher, would you take a moment to hit the thumbs up icon if you enjoyed this show? And also, if you'd like future episodes, add us to your favorites list on Stitcher by clicking that star icon, and you'll continue to get more episodes on future shows of Coaching for Leaders. Hey, the link to the show notes are on our website, coachingforleaders.com. This is episode number 46, and the show airs every Monday. Hey, wherever you are in the world, whatever's on your agenda today, take one idea from this show to engage and develop someone you lead. Take care, everybody.